right, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 7. Peter says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Now, that's we're not going to even get that far tonight. I'm going to tell you right now. Most likely, all we're going to cover is knowledge and self-control. That's what we're going to take some time to do. Now, if you remember, last week we looked at adding goodness or virtue to our faith. Uh, and the, as we look at these things, this, this, we've already seen His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge. But these qualities that we're going to be looking at, the two tonight we're going to be studying are knowledge and self-control. These are to be in increasing measure. We've already got everything you need. Now it's a matter of diving into what God's given us already in our salvation in Christ and what it means to have Christ indwell us. And we are now to allow him to, as we do the effort and the digging, to let him manifest and bring out within us and from within us and to the world what he's already given us. And so that's what we're going to, the Bible says these are to be increase in increasing measure. Um, now, the next one on the list is knowledge. And if you remember from our earlier study, Peter said that we have received salvation and everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Jesus. Now, the word Peter used for that knowledge was epignosis, meaning a full knowledge or a knowledge lacking nothing. It was a complete knowledge. You see it there in chapter 1, verse 3. But here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, Peter uses the word gnosis, not epignosis, but just gnosis, when he tells us to add, to our, add knowledge to our faith. This knowledge is a growing knowledge. This is an increasing knowledge. This is a knowledge gained through learning. All right, so stick with me here so we make sure we're all clear. The, the word knowledge used in verse 3 said it was a complete knowledge. In other words, you get everything you need. But he then says to us, add knowledge to your faith. That word he used for knowledge is gnosis, which means a knowledge that is gained through learning. All right. In other words, Peter says to us, you've already received everything you need for salvation. So dig into it. Search out what you have received. Work out your salvation. Work out what God has put in. You understand what I'm saying? You know, the Bible talks about work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We are now at, to add to what we've been given through knowledge, an increasing knowledge, a knowledge gained through learning, through study, through effort, we are to now know what's already there. All right? Now, this is done in many ways, but one of the, what I want to talk about tonight is some of the ways in which we can gain knowledge or add knowledge. And I want to take some time to do that and show you from Scripture where it talks about that. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. One of the first ways that we can add knowledge or increase our knowledge is studying Scripture. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, very familiar passage, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if you want to add knowledge to your faith and to the goodness that you're, you're, you're having manifested, you need to now intentionally spend time in the Bible. Read the Bible. Study the Bible. Don't be in a hurry. Now, please hear what I'm about to say the right way. I think some of our reading through the Bible in a year plans can hurt us. I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. But if you think that's your Bible study, 
Because you read five, seven chapters today. You're not going to gain much knowledge. If you're like most of us, yeah, you can check it off, but you probably don't remember a whole lot of what it is that you just read. Remember, this word gnosis means an increasing knowledge gained through learning, through study. So when you study the scriptures, when you read the scriptures, you're to read them for the purpose of having God increase your knowledge of the truth. All right. That's one of the ways we can add knowledge. Another way, though, is to listen to good biblical teaching and preaching. Go to, go to Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to look at this passage that you've heard me talk, talk on a little bit before. But I want you to see it from a slightly different angle here. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, it says, It was He, God, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. Now, what I want us to look at is I want us to not focus right away on verses 11 and following, but I want to jump down to verse 14. It says, then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by false teaching. All right. Well, how will we become no longer infants tossed back and forth by false teaching? Well, we must be paying attention to the teaching of those whom he has called and gifted and equipped to equip us in the knowledge of the word. Some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are pastor teachers. But their purpose is to equip you in the ministry of the word, feed you the word. Now, we're not going to go there. Well, actually, I want us to go there. I hadn't planned on it, but we, we need to go there. Go to Acts chapter 6. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 6, look at verses 1 through 4. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Look closely what the apostles said. They said, look. A problem arose in the church, and let me just quickly say, too many people say, well, I long, I long for the days of the early church. Have you read your Bibles? The early church was messed up as we are. Early church, they're fighting over who's getting a fair amount in the food distribution. Paul had to deal with the fact that this guy was sleeping with his father's wife. They were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Oh, I follow Apollos. Oh, I follow Peter. Well, I follow Christ. And, uh, folks, people are people. Don't glorify the early church like it was this perfect thing. But the apostles were wise enough when the people did what people normally do and they got a problem. They run straight to the pastor and say, you got to deal with this. And they said, you know what? No. Now, most pastors today would be fired. But they said, look, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect what God's told us to do, the ministry of the word, to wait on tables. 
You choose some men from among you, full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll hand this responsibility over to them. They'll be overseeing it. We're going to devote ourselves to what? Prayer and study of the word, preaching of the word. Now you go back here to Ephesians 4. He gave some to be apostles, some to be evangelists, some to be prophets, some to be pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the church for the work of the ministry. How do they do it? These are the ones who are the preacher teachers. These are the ones who have been gifted and called by God to use the word, to feed on the word, spend time in prayer, live in the book, and teach you the book. And when you know the book, you will gain knowledge. And you won't be tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching. You won't be susceptible to this guy that's flashy but doesn't have any biblical substance. You'll be able to realize, wait a minute, he doesn't even talk about sin. But the problem is nowadays we've expected our pastors to be a CEO. We expect him to be the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, teacher. And we get all upset and we say, well, he's a real good preacher. He just doesn't visit. Or, you know, he's a wonderful man and he's a great counselor, but I'm just not getting fed. And we go through this silly cycle of expecting one man to be at all. Folks, let me just tell you something. If you've got a pastor, I don't know if he's an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, or a pastor, teacher, and it really doesn't matter. Stop going to him when the ice machine's broke. Amen. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're really going to become a person who grows in maturity and grows up in your faith, you need preachers. Pastors, teachers who are just, your job is to say to them, get in the word, get in the study, spend your time in prayer, know what this book says inside and out, and teach it to us under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Because otherwise, we're going to be babies the rest of our lives, and our churches are full of babies because we've expected the pastor to be all for, and we've also expected him to be church administrator and all seeking CEO. Stop it. Let him be what God's called him to be. You find out what your gifts are. You let him equip you and you go do the work of the ministry. You go meet the needs of the body. You go visit people. You go uh, lead people to Jesus. Whatever it is that you're gifted and called to do. You want to gain knowledge? You've got to study the scripture. You want to gain knowledge? You need to listen to biblical teaching and preaching. There's a third thing. Go to Psalm chapter 1. You'll see in verses 1 through 3. We need to meditate on God's word. Don't just study it. Another thing the Bible teaches us to do is to meditate on it. Now I'm going to explain that in just a second. But listen to what it says in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Did you catch that? The person that's growing in maturity, the person that's growing in knowledge, doesn't just study the Word, doesn't just listen to good biblical preaching and teaching. They also meditate on the Word of God. Now, for some of you, you might not understand what meditate is. And the best illustration I can give to you is, then the Hebrew, especially, the Hebrew word has the picture of a cow chewing its cud. And some of you have heard me say this before. If you know anything about a cow, they'll go chew some grass, swallow it down into one of their stomachs. They go over under a tree and lay down. And what do they do? They burp it back up. Don't they? They burp it and they chew on it some more. And then they swallow it down and they burp it back up again and chew on it some more. You're to read the word. You're to study the word. You're to compare scripture against scripture. And then you are to let the spirit of God roll it around in your mind, if you will. Think on it throughout the day. 
Folks, it's no accident that my radio program that I've had for the last eight years is called Challenge for Today. I give you a meditational thought. I'll walk through books of the Bible, but I'm just going to pull a couple of verses out. And I'm not really teaching the passage per se as much as I'm going to pull something out for you to meditate on today. I just want you to think about this today. Let it roll around in your mind. That's the purpose of my radio program. It's valuable for us to just meditate on the Word of God. What's something that you have had him for the last three or four days just kind of roll around in your mind? I could always tell if you ask me, what are you meditating on right now? I'll tell you what I'm meditating on. I've been meditating on for the last week or so the fact that Jesus didn't force. He didn't stand and say, you ought to, you should. He actually said, whosoever will. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. But Jesus, he preached the truth, but it was an appeal because he understood the need of the will to respond and the spirit of God to make the change in the heart. A lot of our preachers over the years we grew up under have legalistically laid down the laws and you should and you ought to and you better and Jesus didn't talk like that. So I've been allowing God to kind of let that roll around in my mind. I'm meditating on God's word. Whosoever will. You know, so that's important for you to do that. Now, before I move on to the next thing of how to add knowledge, I want to just take a second and just have some fun. All right. Now, how many of you, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, well, actually, I'm not going to ask you it that way. I'll ask it this way. Did Jesus baptize anybody? Someone says not that we know of. You all are all scared to answer. Ever since Chris put the microphone that now recorded the room, yeah, you're afraid you're afraid to answer. You don't know, do you? Jeff knows. He can't answer. He did? Go to John chapter 3. Now, I'm doing this for a reason. I'm doing this to show you the importance of not only knowing the scriptures, but listening to preachers that know the whole of scripture. Because someone could take a passage, passage of scripture and teach you things that aren't true. In John chapter 3, look at verse 22. It says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. So, let me ask you again. Did Jesus baptize anyone? Sure, yes. We don't know. You, actually, we do know. Go to John chapter 4. Some of you that read verse, chapter 3, verse 22 thought he did, but he didn't. Look at John chapter 4. Look at verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Do you see? I did that for a reason. If you had just had read verse 22 in chapter 3, you'd be convinced that he baptized. But when it says Jesus baptized, it was just talking about the baptism of Jesus. And his group that was baptizing, John 4 clarifies, it wasn't Jesus himself. He didn't baptize anybody. That's actually a good thing. Because the way humans are, I was baptized by Jesus. I don't, don't think anybody's too excited that they were baptized by Judas. <laughs> but do you understand why you need to study the scriptures? Because if you don't study the scriptures and meditate on the scriptures and listen to good biblical teaching, someone who's lived in the book, you're going to listen to somebody who's going to teach you something from John chapter 3 that doesn't line up with John chapter 4. Do you understand? You need to be wise. You know the Bible talks about examine their fruit. You look in the context. It doesn't say I'm supposed to be examining your fruit. The passage says examine the fruit of the false teachers, the false prophets. So you want to grow in knowledge? 
Study the scriptures. Don't just read them. Study them. Listen to good biblical preaching and teaching. Meditate on God's word. And I'm going to take you to actually four different passages that talk about this. Another thing you want to do in gaining knowledge is learn from other believers. Find somebody that you respect, that you say, you know what, that person's walking with the Lord. I want to get to know the Lord better, and I want to talk to this person and have them talk with me, and I will get to know the Lord better by learning how, they're, how they walk with the Lord. Go to, go to Philippians chapter 4, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Paul says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now you say, wait a minute, Jim, I thought we weren't supposed to follow man. We're supposed to follow the Lord. Well, listen closely to how Paul clarifies this. He said, whatever you've learned or heard or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. But go to 1 Corinthians 4. He makes it even a little bit more clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 he says, therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Wow, how dare he say that? Well, it gets even more clear in chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He puts it this way. That was chapter 4, verse 16. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, listen to how he words it. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You want to grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Find somebody that you respect that you know is growing in their walk with the Lord, who has a close relationship with the Lord, who knows what it is to walk with God. Say, can I spend time with you? I do that, by the way, with two or three different people. Some people say that I'm the person that they want to spend time with. I'm doing it with people that I want to spend time with them because they help me. The whole mentoring thing is in the Bible. I'll give you one more example of it. Go to Acts chapter 18. God didn't design us to do this thing alone. He designed the body to work together to help and equip the body. In Acts chapter 18, listen to verses 24 through 26. It says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Do you see that? Here was a great guy who understood about Jesus for the most part, but he never received the baptism of faith in Jesus. He had only received the baptism of John, which was the baptism of repentance and turning from your dead works. He believed in Jesus and taught about Jesus accurately, but he had never learned about faith in Jesus. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they thought, man, he's a great guy. And they invited him over, and Priscilla and Aquila helped teach Apollos. Yes, ma'am, go ahead. Mine says, and being fervent in lowercase s spirit. Yep. Not capital S spirit. Well, again, he understood about Jesus very accurately. He didn't understand about faith in Jesus. See, because your baptism of Jesus is when you say, I believe and I receive. And you put your faith in it. A lot of people know a lot about Jesus, but don't know him. But here were two people that took him under their wing and taught him. So, do you want to gain knowledge? You want to grow in knowledge? Study scriptures. Listen to biblical preaching and teaching. Meditate on God's word. Learn from other believers. And the last one kind of ties to it. Read good books written by godly men and women. It's okay to read other things than the scriptures. Now, you're going to have to be discerning. 
You're going to have to know whether or not what they're saying lines up with scripture. But you know what? You can grow a lot if you read like a C.S. Lewis. Or people like that or Spurgeon's writings and different things. Now, I don't agree 100% with everything that everybody writes, and nor should you agree 100% with everything I say. But I can tell you this much. God has used godly men and women who have gone ahead of me, who have sought to know the Lord, and they have shared some of the things that they've taught. Have you ever, anybody ever heard of Brother Lawrence? Practice of the presence of God. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. God used that book to change my life. And God knew me real well. He knew how to use me and how to use that book to change me. I was in seminary, and I was taking a course called Devotional Classics. And we had to write a book report on one of the devotional classics. Well, I, at the time, didn't know anything about devotional classics. I hadn't grown up in that kind of a thing. And I didn't even know. I had never read Pilgrim's Progress or anything like that. Hadn't even heard of it. And I'm in seminary at the time, and I'm in this class, and I've got to write a book report on one of these devotional classics. And then I went to the library and looked at them, and Pilgrim's Progress was this thick. But Brother Lawrence had written a simple little, if you haven't seen it, it's awesome. It's about this thick. You can read it in, in, in one sitting. And I thought, that's the book for me. And God knew that's what I needed. And as I began to read this book, even for the purpose of writing my book report, God began to speak to my heart as this man talked about the fact that if God is always with us and we're to be in continual prayer, that you can actually have just as deep and tight a close personal prayer time with the Lord as you're washing dishes as he was in the monastery as you would in the closet by yourself. And he began to teach me, or God through him began to teach me how to talk to God while I'm talking to somebody else. I didn't even know that was possible. I thought I'd have to say, hang on for a second, got to go pray about it. <laughs> you know? But you may not know it. Half the time when you come to me with your Bible open, I'm running 100 miles an hour prayer saying, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. Because I don't know everything. And everything that I'm sharing is from what he's been teaching me. And I'm saying, Lord, show me what they need to hear. Show me what scriptures you want to. And I, while you're talking to me, I'm talking to the Lord. And I got that from Brother Lawrence in his writings. You have been given fullness in Christ. Don't think you needed some experience to get a deeper walk. You have it all. But you need to now make every effort to add to your virtue knowledge. And if you don't, guess what? really isn't the preacher's fault now, is it? How many people say, well, he just doesn't teach it good enough? Guess what? You can even sit under bad preaching and still grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. As you say to yourself, is that true? Does that line up with Scripture? And as you search, even under bad, bad preaching and teaching, you can grow. Now, before we move on to the next quality, though, I need to deal with some warnings about gaining knowledge. I just... As I was putting this together, I just really felt like I can't stop here. I've got to give you some warnings. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. First Corinthians chapter 8. Look at verses 1 through 3. Paul says, Now about food sacrificed idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. As he, before he even got into this tricky teaching on this that was going to take maturity because those with 
strong faith weren't going weren't to be able to see it one way. Those with weak faith weren't going to be able to grasp it. And as he gets into all this, he started by saying, hang on for a second. Before we even get into this whole issue, let me just tell you something about knowledge. It can lead to pride. The person that thinks they got stuff figured out, stay away from them. They don't know yet. They've just shown their ignorance. And unfortunately, as we grow in knowledge, and if you look back over your life, you've been there. As you grow in knowledge of the word, you start thinking you know more than everybody else. And I found myself over the years, as God's blessed me with the mind that he's blessed me, that I could out-argue anybody because I could pull scriptures out of my holster, you know. And all it was was my flesh on display. So as you gain knowledge, be, be careful. Let me just tell you. Satan will come during that time and make you start thinking you've got it figured out and everybody else isn't as strong and as good a Christian as you and you know more than them. Uh-uh. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. But also a second thing is this. Knowledge without the Holy Spirit's guidance is not enough to move us on to maturity. Knowledge for just knowledge's sake without the Spirit of God showing you how to apply the Scriptures is actually going to mess you up. Making decisions simply by human wisdom or knowledge will often lead us astray. We need the wisdom of God through His Spirit to know how to apply the knowledge that we've gained. Uh, go to Ephesians chapter uh, 1. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 and following. Look closely what, what, what Paul says here. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. Did you hear what he said? I'm praying, and he's talking to Christians. I thank God. I heard about your salvation, your faith in the Lord, and your love for the saints. That's awesome. I thank God for you. But I'm praying for you right now that God would give you wisdom and revelation. You see, folks, we have a tendency in Christendom to fall into ditches of the extremes. And as we go to grain and knowledge, there are going to be those who are going to say to you, well, God has given us everything we need in this book, and that is our revelation from God, and that is the... the uh, uh, all we need, it's all right here, and we just need to use this. Well, you know what? That sounds real good and real spiritual, but please stick with me. Without the Spirit of God showing you how to apply this, you're going to be spending the rest of your life fighting with other Christians over which way is right. Because if you just use the Bible without the Spirit's insight, I can show you how Jesus did it this way in this instance, and he did it this way in that instance. So which one wins? You're going to find many times that situations were similar and Jesus' methods were different. And if you try to live by the Bible, I was teaching on this at a pastor's conference uh, about probably about five, six years ago now. And uh, during one of the breaks, a pastor came up to me and he said, Jim, I just taught on how God may not duplicate a method. And we need to check with God and find out in this instance, what would you have me do? And he said, I, he goes, I think I'm with you, but I got a problem. He said, we were taught that you take a passage of scripture, you find out how Jesus did it, and you tell the people, that's how you're to do it. This is what Jesus did, that's what you do. Or this is what Paul did, that's what you do. I said, well, the only problem with that is, in Matthew 15, the disciples said, Jesus, you offended the Pharisees, and he said, who cares? <laughs> Yet in John chapter 3, he had the most loving conversation with the Pharisee. When Jesus said, for God so loved the world, folks, it was one-on-one -on -one in the dark with a Pharisee. So how do you deal with the Pharisees? You've heard me say, 
In one situation, in a Roman colony, Paul pulled out his Roman citizen card, but in another one, he didn't. And he took the beating. You, you could just learn the Bible knowledge-wise, but if you don't have the Spirit showing you how to apply it, you're going to be in trouble. But there are those on the other side, the other ditch, who say, well, I'm just going to be led of the Spirit. I'm just going to let God lead me. Folks, if you don't know the Word of God, how are you going to know what Spirit you're listening to? You've got to have wisdom and revelation. They have to go together. Too many people are making decisions today in our ministries, in our churches, in our lives by, well, you know, God's word says, so I guess that's the best way to go about it. Well, what did God say along with his word in his spirit? Let me give you an example. Some of you heard me share this before. As I was wrestling in uh, Chicago years ago uh, with whether or not I was supposed to leave Chicago and come to First Baptist of the Atlantic, someone on the search committee had contacted me to want to know if I would send my resume. They wanted me to consider coming and being the pastor at First Baptist of the Atlantic. At that time, God had done a mighty work in that church in Chicago and it had gone from 50 people to 400. It was growing rapidly. People were coming to know the Lord. I had been through a breaking process in New Orleans where I was on staff at a church that was big and I was preaching on radio and TV. I thought I was God's gift to ministry. And God took me through a breaking process to move me from there to a little church in Chicago where we didn't know anybody. We had no family. We had no friends. And God gave me a one last chance. You're going to follow me or you're done. We moved into that church uh, parsonage right next door to the church on Halloween of 1995. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I was scared to death. But God broke me. And he took me and began to teach me the principles that I've been teaching churches on what it means to seek God. And in that time, over the next three and a half to four years, that church exploded. Revival broke out. But now... I got this contact from down here where I had met my wife and where I, she and I had been married. And I had been youth pastor and I'd love to be in Florida. And they want me to consider being the pastor. And I begin to seek God. And one of the first things you got to do is, is you got to wrestle with, is this something God would even do? And I prayed one night at a pastor's conference, I'm sorry, pastor's uh, associational meeting in Chicago at the Chicago Metro Baptist Association. I sat in the back and I'm in turmoil. And I said, God, this doesn't make any sense. Why would you have me leave the big city of Chicago where the revival's broken out and have me head south to a situation I don't know what's going to happen next? And as soon as I finished praying, this one pastor stood up and he said, uh, can I share a scripture with you all? Now, the funny thing about that is, is if you're in a room full of pastors and someone says, can I share a scripture? No one's going to say no. All right. <laughs> You know, can you imagine just saying, no, shut up, sit down. You know, it's not going to happen. So we're like, sure, go ahead. And he says, I want to read Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Let me read to you Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south. To the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. That's the only verse he read. He closed his Bible and he, he said this. He said, it made no sense to Philip why God would have him leave the big city of Samaria where revival had broken out. Simon the sorcerer had gotten saved and all these things were happening. Why would God have him go head down that desert road when he didn't know what was going to happen next? But he said, God had a plan. And he said, that's for somebody here. Now, let me just say. I could have gone home. Meeting hadn't even started. But let me just tell you something. Listen closely to what I'm about to say. Don't miss this. I had now found out from Scripture this is something God would do. 
But that didn't mean that I knew that I was to be the next pastor at First Baptist in the Atlantic. I needed the wisdom and the revelation. Do you understand what I'm saying? But that began the journey of me moving forward and listening as I go. Paul was told in Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Isn't that what Jesus said? Paul tried to. Tried to go into Asia. But the Spirit said, not here. He didn't sit home and wait for a word from God. He tried to go into Mysia because the word was pretty clear. I'm to go and preach the gospel and make disciples. God's called me to do this. As he was doing it, though, as he was trying to apply scripture, he was also listening for the specifics of how to apply the scripture. You need to have them both. Don't just gain knowledge, but understand that your need of knowledge and revelation. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Second half of Ephesians 1.8 says, all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. Exactly. You need to know the scriptures in order to know whether or not what you're hearing is God and of God. Because there's a lot of, well, the Bible says in the last days there'll be doctrines taught by demons. Oh, and they're pretty tricky. And they know how to pretend to be an angel of light. How are you going to know if what you're hearing is the truth? You've got to know the word. So don't Get away from the Word of God. But don't just say, well, I'm going to make all my decisions according to the Bible. Without the Spirit showing you how to apply it, you're going to be in another ditch. So, are we to gain knowledge? Yes. And it's necessary and very valuable. Make every effort. But in doing so, just let the Spirit guide you in that process and how to apply it. Let's go to self-control. I can't wait to get self-controlled because God, seriously, I was, I'll be honest with you. I was scared to death of self-control. I'm going to be straight up with you. I have never liked the word self-control in the Bible for lots of reasons. One of them being I wrestle with, wait a minute, I thought I'm supposed to be under the control of the spirit, not under the control of self. And we'll deal with that. Plus also, the Bible says one of the evidence of the spirit being in you is self-control, Right. Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you don't sin anymore? Exactly. I still sin too. And so I would wrestle with, wait a minute. If I sin, that's a lack of self-control. Maybe I don't have salvation. And if for years this self-control thing has been a problem for me. But as I began to study it in order to teach it. By the way, you, you want to get in the Word? Teach. <laughs> Realize you're going to sit in front of a group of people or be on a recording that's going to go all over the country. And people are going to send you emails about stuff you say. You, it makes you dive in. And in the diving into it, it became so exciting for me. Because all of a sudden, this word self-control began to make sense. Now, before we even break that down, I want to look closely at two places in Scripture in which this word self-control is put so we can learn something about this word from where it's put. Okay? So, go to Acts 24. We'll come back to 2 Peter chapter 1 in a second. Go to Acts 24, verses 24 and 25. It says, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. <laughs> he got under conviction and said, you know what? I, I think I'm good. That's, that's enough for now. But look closely at where self-control is put. It's after righteousness. 
In other words, here self-control is listed right after Paul's teaching on righteousness or God's divine design for life. Self-control is then listed next as our response. You're going to see this again. Self-control is the response to God, Paul's teaching on righteousness. Here's God's design. Here's how we should respond. Go back here now to 2 Peter and look at chapter 1, verse uh, 6. And it says, and to knowledge, we've just talked about adding knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. Once again, we see self-control used as a response. Here is a, it's a response to what we've learned. All right? So you're, what we're going to look at here in self-control is going to be as you've added to your faith goodness or virtue and then knowledge. One of the next things God's going to be working with you on is self-control. But it's going to be a response to what he's been teaching you. So keep that in mind. Now, the Greek word translated into English as self-control is the Greek word enkratia. For those that like to take notes and put it down, let me spell it for you. E-N-K-R-A-T-E-I-A. E-N-K-R-A-T-E-I-A. The root word of this Greek word is the Greek word kratos, or K-R-A-T-O-S. K-R-A-T-O-S, kratos, which means power or control. This word used or translated power or control is a stabilizing power or control. And I'll explain it to you by going back to Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 20. Uh, in that passage that we just looked at on wisdom and revelation, Paul uses this Greek word kratos. And I want you to see it, how it's used. And that will help us as we build this word self-control. All right. In Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 20. Listen to what it says. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power, that's Kratos, all right, for us who believe that power, Kratos, is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. In other words, when he's talking about the power of God, he's talking about the fact that God has control over the universe. He's the stabilizing force in the universe, if you haven't understood that. In him we live and move and have our being. If God ceased to exist, the universe would cease to exist. He is that power. He's the stabilizing force. All right? That's the root word to this word self-control. Enkratia is a picture of power or control, but it's a stability type of control. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a, it's a life that becomes stable, not out of control. Now, this doesn't mean that if we, we, if, uh, if we have self-control, we'll never sin. The scripture teaches in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, anybody says he doesn't sin, lies. Very clear. And if we sin, we conf if we confess our sins or agree with God that we've sinned, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But anybody says he doesn't sin, truth's not in. All right, so you do understand that you still struggle with sin, even though you've been born again and you've been given a new spirit and you're a new creation. You still struggle with sin. But so if you, if you sin, it doesn't mean that you have no self-control. Paul even wrestled with that. Remember in Romans 7? Ah, things I want to do, I don't. Things I don't want to do, I do. Ugh. He, he struggled with sin. So when we're dealing with the word self-control here, we're not talking about someone who, if someone has self-control, they never sin. 
It's saying that your life shows a stability that shows that God is in control. You understand what I'm saying? It shows a stability of life. And the only way I can illustrate it to you is Duke's laughing because he and I have talked about it. I found something so awesome and so funny. I, I'll be honest with you. I've been waiting all night to get to this part. Now, those of you that have King James translations, anybody here have a King James translation? Duke does. You all do. All right. You're going to be the ones that are going to help us here. All right. Everybody go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This whole thing on self-control is going to make so much more sense when we take a look at the word that the King James used for a lack of self-control. And when you see it, you're going to break up laughing, but it's awesome. It's a perfect word. Uh, all right. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 5 in the NIV, and then we're going to have Duke read for us good and loud in the King James, all right? And you'll know when he gets to the word lack of self-control. Listen to what it reads in 2 Timothy 3. It says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, lo not lovers of the good, treacherous, wrath, conceited, and so on. But you see there in verse 3, one of the ways that we'll know that we're in the last days is people will be without self-control. But you know what? That really doesn't give us the picture that the King James does. Duke, go ahead, good and loud for us. Read that passage right up to that wonderful word. <laughs> Just after, just verse 3? Oh, no, start at the beginning and okay. work your way to it. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boaster, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce. <laughs> Did anybody catch that? Did anybody catch that word? It says incontinent. Now, for those of you who don't know what incontinent means, that means you can't control your bowels, right? Isn't that what, if someone has incontinence, I, 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 a man literally, not knowing that I was doing this lesson tonight, a man literally this morning said to me, he said, do men over 55 wear boxers or briefs? Depends. So that, that's, all right, so. <laughs> And I thought to myself, you don't realize you just gave me something for my Bible study tonight. But the word incontinent means if you have incontinence, you can't control, correct? You, sorry, if you have that problem, we don't want to laugh too much because it's not fun. You have no control. You lack control. If you lack control in your life, you're without self-control. Now, yes, you may sin once in a while, and I'm not promoting it, but it doesn't mean you have a lack of self-control. Does your life give an evidence of stability because of Jesus? Or are you one of those people that have no stability? If you got no stability, man, that's one of the evidences of the Spirit in you. On the whole, you need to be giving off the evidence of stability in your life. Folks, oh, by the way, as things get worse, things are going to get more and more out of control in our world, are they not? 
If you're not paying attention, you, you don't. Bible says it's going to happen. We keep thinking, well, we get the right people in office. We'll get things in control. Folks, I'm sorry. Give it up. That ain't going to happen. The Bible is never going to be proven wrong. The world will get worse and worse and worse until Jesus comes back. Things will get more and more and more out of control. I hope it doesn't happen. But if you don't have the Spirit of God in your home, things are going to get out of control in your home. Things are going to get out of control in your business. You're going to get out of control. Without Christ, there will be a lack of control. But those of us who have Jesus within us, He says, you've already gotten everything you need. It's all there. Now you need to make every effort to add to this what you've been given. Virtue, goodness. You need to be known, as we looked at last week, as someone, well, you know what? I, I, that person's been accused of doing something. I don't believe it because that's not who they are. You need to add to your goodness knowledge. And that takes effort. Take some, man, put your time in. Grow in learning what it is we've been given in Christ. And add to your knowledge self-control. And how do we do this? We have to surrender our will because, folks, this is where the... Self-control, and I thought I was supposed to be under God's control thing, becomes clear. Yes, in order for anything to be manifest that's of God, he's got to do it. But I'm not a puppet, and you're not a puppet. God will not force himself on you. You must choose daily to surrender your will and your control. Remember in Romans 6 it says, we become slaves to whomever we choose to obey. Before you were born again, before you were saved, you were out of control. <clears throat> Excuse me. Satan and sin was in control and there was nothing you could do about it, but you've been set free from that. You've been given a new life and a new power within you and you can say no to sin, but you need to choose. If you say, I'm sorry, I just can't stop, I can't help it, I, you might not have Jesus. But if you have Jesus, it doesn't mean that you're automatically going to be the way you're supposed to be. You choose whom you're going to obey. And you willingly surrender your will to the Father's will, and you let him live his life through you. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. It's not about trying every day. It's about dying every day. And you daily lay your will down. That's why, remember, the Bible says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But remember that in the Greek, it's a daily renewing of your mind. And what were we supposed to do right before that? Offer our bodies as living sacrifices. You still got a will, folks. You still got a flesh. But you get to choose whom you're going to let have control. Is the flesh going to have control in this situation? Or is Jesus going to have control in this situation? Now, you know what? Some days we don't let Jesus have control. Just glad, glad that you let him that he, you let him have control when you bought the battery. That's right. Exactly. Because Jeff would be walking right now if I wasn't listening to the Lord. But here's the thing, folks. If you sin still, it doesn't mean you don't have self-control. But the question is, as we look at your life, is there a stability in your life because of Jesus? When everything else is chaos, are you able to keep moving forward because of Jesus? Let him keep producing that in increasing measure in your life. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you again for this chance to open your word and just to spend an hour on two words. Oh, but there's so much here. Lord, I look forward to hearing and seeing what you're going to do and through the lives of the folks that are here as they make every effort to allow you to work out what that you put in. And Lord, may they take serious the salvation that we've been given. And Father, forgive us for uh, sitting back and expecting the preacher to take care of it for us. And we understand tonight that one day when we stand before you, uh, their name won't come up. 
So Lord, may we intentionally desire as a kid at Christmas to look into what it is we've been given. What does it mean that you're in me and I'm in you? What does it mean that the same power that rose Jesus, not only from the dead, but seated him in the heavenly realms is at work within me? Father, may we be excited about finding out what it means to be the child of the king of the universe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.